Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Andrew Slotnick. And we are so excited to get between the sheets with you today. Uh, that might be a little bit misleading, but we do have Brooklyn and co-founder Rich Phillip on the show today. He got his undergrad degree from NYU and then came back to go to Stern and graduated in May of 2014. While he's at Stern, he founded the company Brooklinen along with his wife Vicky through a Kickstarter campaign. Now you can buy Brooklinen products from the comfort of your own bed from their beautiful website. Devna acts like I'm exaggerating, but I'm literally in between some classic Brooklinen percale white sheets, and man, they are comfortable. You sure look cozy. I heard that Rich started the company after finding out the hotel sheets that he wanted to buy were like $800 or $900. That's right, Devna. For our listeners, you can find more information about Rich and Brooklinen at brooklinen.com. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at at Brooklinen. So, Andrew, should we start the show? Flip the switch and let's go. Cue that music. From New York University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Andrew Slotnick. And I'm Devna Shukla. And we are really privileged to have Rich Phillip here in the studio. Rich is the co-founder of Brooklinen and Proud Stern alum. Thank you so much for coming in, Rich. Thanks for having me, guys. So in true Stern Chats tradition, we always love to hear everyone's 30-second elevator pitch. So will you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Uh, about myself or yeah. my, my company? All the right? things. <laughs> All, but however you define yourself. Yeah, you know, whichever uh, you, you prefer. Uh, sure. Um, so my name is Rich Phillip. I'm co-founder and CEO of Brooklinen. Uh, we launched in 2014, um, a month before I walked for graduation from Stern. So it was launched while I was in school. What is Brooklinen? Brooklinen is a luxury home goods brand um, with curated, uh, accessible, priced This is changing, actually, because we've launched many more products. So uh, what started as a luxury home goods line focused on bedding has actually grown into a lot more where we're outfitting the entire home and everything comfortable inside of it. So um, things have changed as time has gone on and the business is at scale. So it's all uh, pretty exciting. That's awesome. Um, So many questions for you. Mm -hmm. But just to start and to to bring it back to Stern, you are a a double NYU alum, undergrad and Stern. Um, Where did the idea come from? It's funny. It actually came from like a two points of uh, that were really kind of circumstantial due to the time of my life. Um, two weeks prior to starting Stern in uh, 2012, I went on vacation with my wife and we checked into a hotel on vacation. And we kind of had this aha moment when we felt the sheets. They're like, oh, my God, these sheets are amazing. And it was it was weird, right? It wasn't like our first time in a hotel. But like it, we put our stuff down on the bed, felt it, and it kind of popped out at us. Um, we wanted to buy those sheets and bring them back home to New York. And what we actually found out was those sheets were um, selling the whole package, the whole bed um, was about $900 or so for the whole set. Wait, $900 for sheets? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the hotel we stayed at had a store at the grind level where you can buy all the fixtures in the room. So the sheets, the pillows, the night table, the carpet they sold, literally everything. So they sold the sheets. Uh, A core sheet set was $450. A pair of pillowcases were about $150. A duvet cover was another $350. It just added up and added up and it added up. And I had no job at the time. I was about to start school full time. Um, so with a single income family, we weren't uh, <laughs> we weren't in a position <laughs> to spend that kind of money on sheets at the moment, at that point in time. So um, 
what we did was we actually tried to back channel and find our way to get the product another way. Found ourselves Googling late at night, um, Reddit threads, forums, people talking about where can I get these sheets? I'm looking for these sheets. I'm looking for this texture. There's just so much chatter about it that a light bulb went off, went off in my mind. Then fast forward a couple months and we actually needed new sheets. So we found ourselves in the really nice stores uptown and the big box stores. That, and, and really what we couldn't find was the solution we were looking for of a product that was priced for what we could afford, but also had the same value propositions of the higher end brands, which were you know high quality, durable, feels amazing, and just built to satisfy a brand that stood for that in the home goods space. So um, that was kind of the cue for us to create our own at the time. That's amazing. Um, it's kind of funny. I didn't really understand the whole bedsheet market until we were watching actually the second season of Marvelous Mrs. Meisel. Okay. And one of the characters says like, oh, we have deep Bartolt sheets. This is really impressive. And I turn to my wife. I say, what's this with bedsheets? Like, She's like, no, they're expensive, but at the same time, it sounds like Brooklyn's in a in a in a spot to to disrupt. Yeah, um, what we find is that bed sheets, particular, they they either shine when they're amazing or they're terrible. Anything in between that is kind of goes unnoticed by most people; they take it for granted. So um, we have our you know our spotlight firmly shined on the high end, you know, awesome product and. We wow our customers with that. So, and that's what we take a lot of time and pride in doing and, you know, researching the R&D that goes into that to make sure that we have that, like, wow, I got to tell everybody about this type moment when it gets the, the product. So you had this aha moment just, like, two weeks before you started starting mm -hmm. CERN. What was your plan when you were applying to business schools and when you basically, before this vacation, what did you hope to do at Stern? Did you always want to start your own business? I think I always wanted to start my own business at some point. Did I know I wanted to start it while I was at Stern? No. Um, that kind of... Uh, came together all on its own as time went on uh, through my first semester at school. Um, I did the, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to just learn a lot, meet a lot of people and get exposure to a lot of things. Um, I like strategy. I like thinking about things holistically. So I kind of went down the consulting track, um, as you know, a lot of student students do over here, oh, especially yeah. <laughs> we're familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. And a lot, a lot of career changers actually do that. It's a really, really good way to get exposure to a new industry, um, and really learn the ins and outs of it. So I did that and I was on the recruiting track for that. So um, I was doing um, cases all the time and I was, you know, on in all the uh, networking events and everything that I had to do with that. At the same time, I kind of had this idea in my head of, you know, this business and how I could bring it to life. And then really what became more and more obvious to me is that my, my classmates are so smart and the professors here are so smart that I have so many resources here that are that are already prepaid for, essentially, right? Mm, so, so, so if I leverage this network and get as much free advice um, that I can, I can probably get the wheels turning to get something off the ground here and see if there's a little, at least a hint of you know, possibility of pursuing this after school. So, um, while I was recruiting for consulting, I was working on this, you know, in the study rooms and you know between classes um, here at Stern, um, pretty much throughout my first year. Wow, I cannot imagine doing all that all at once. But it's really cool that you just took this idea and, and really ran with it. So for our listeners, your co-founder is your wife. Correct. What was the process like um, for going into business with your wife? Was that the idea from the start? Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I actually, prior to really getting off the ground, I had two other co-founders as well that were also stern classmates of mine. So it was my wife and two others. Um, what ended up happening was 
they both got job offers that were very, very compelling before we launched the business. So what ended up happening is they had to make a tough call. And, you know, when you go through the entire recruiting cycle and then you go through, you know, you get these very, very compelling offers that are, you know, much better than what you had when you came into school. Like the risk reward really that they did was they, you know, they chose to cho- to go down the safer path. Um, my wife and I were very, very bullish on the idea and believed it in a lot. So she was working, I was you know, at school, and I was also trying to build the nuts and bolts of the business at the same time. We thought we would give ourselves uh, six months to really push this, you know, to push the boat out and see if we had any traction. And lo and behold, we did. But um, we really took the road less traveled and the not safer in doing that. Do you have any entrepreneurs either either in your family or in your social network that basically inspired you to sort of go about this? Because it seems like a really great idea, but it also seems like a lot of work to do, like with most adventures, especially when you're in school. Totally. Um, both my parents are entrepreneurs. They own small businesses um, in New Jersey. Um, growing up, my father had um, what was essentially a bodega and a deli uh, in Newark, New Jersey. I would spend uh, weekends you know, from the age of, you know, seven, eight years old, shadowing him, helping him out, restocking shelves, ringing people up, you know, and just just doing all kinds of odds and ends of the story. But I really got exposure to what it was like to run a business and, you know, manage people that has to go with that, manage inventory, um, securing the store, securing the merchandise, like just understanding all of the economics and everything that goes into it. So I had exposure to it from a very young age. Um, the nature of our businesses are obviously very different from what my father did at this point, but it certainly taught me the foundation and gave me something that kind of that I really wanted to do on my own and really operate and run my own business business that was very much in my vision. Can you talk a little bit about the delineation of responsibilities between you and your wife and and the other folks who work with you at the the higher level of Brooklyn? And um, was there a particular area that you had expertise in? Sure. Uh, as far as the business goes, no. <laughs> so got it, got it, so uh, got it. as far as this business goes, I did not have any expertise specifically on that. But I challenged myself to get smart on as many topics as I can um, from day one. Um, I'm a firm believer that if you you have to really understand everything in order to instruct people, coach people, teach people, and tell them what you want to do and bring it to life. Um, so in my position, I need to be a little bit of a generalist, but I like to surround myself with specialists on that. Uh, as far as working with my wife, it's great. Um, it was very challenging at first when we had a lot of you know, financial pressure that went with that, um, as well as you know the recruiting, critical life decisions going on. I was also had to keep my grades up here. And, uh, like, there was <clears throat> a lot of factors that were at play that, that added tension. As time went on, we you know, figured out a, how to divide and conquer. Um, our responsibilities do not overlap at all. So I think by from setting that those ground rules from the onset, she does her thing in her part of the business and I do my thing and my part of the business. And together we're better than the sum of our parts by doing that. Um, and it also makes it a lot easier for us to work together because I respect her and her decision-making and her expertise in her domain and she does the same with mine. Um, and then, you know, as far as working together, um, you learn things as you go. Um, we have some ground rules for home. You know, we don't talk about work, you know, after a certain time or before a certain time. We allow each other to do certain things that we like to do to unwind. Um, you just get familiar with that, with the work-life balance as time goes on. But it's certainly very stressful at first. Did you start with those boundaries about, like, not talking about work at a certain time or doing things? Or did you sort of, like, learn trial by fire? I, I can imagine working with anyone who you know super closely could be really rewarding but also very challenging. It's trial by fire. I mean, there are... Definitely books written on this stuff, sure. but, but these books are very particular to each case, you know, and everybody's case is different in terms of, you know, what their needs are, what their situation is, and so on. So um, you, you have to learn as you go and be very agile on that front and just be be ready to make changes and be flexible. So you have this idea. Um, you're, you're at Stern. You're getting re- ready to graduate Stern. It's really going well. 
Can you talk about um, maybe some of your sources of funding? Did you use the resources here at Stern um, uh, for, for VC money? Uh, maybe just hit upon that a little bit. As far as funding, I used everything, and I, I really took every meeting that I could get. Um, I relied on the Stern community for a lot of introductions to investors and VCs. Um, that was from professors that thought the idea was interesting. That's classmates that had connection or previously came from that those um, lines of work prior to attending Stern. Um, but we couldn't raise any money. Um, no one believed in the idea. Um, it was it was very, very tough going at first. Um, but we really, really believed it and persevered. There were some people that, that did and stood by us um, from the beginning. Um, one of the people is uh, Frank Romolovsky, who runs the uh, NYU Venture Fund. Uh, NYU Venture Fund did end up investing in us. Um, but Frank will tell you, I had to prove myself at several milestones. I kept coming to his office with uh, proof of concept, more traction, more traction, more traction, before he finally did invest in it. And he did. Um, and we have a great relationship. I go and I talk to groups all there all the time to really try and give back to the community here because um, it was really, really helpful to me to get started. But we didn't raise VC money from the get-go. We bootstrapped it largely for two and a half years oh, wow. um, with uh, a few angel investors that were relatively small along the way. But uh, we had to just make it work, really, um, any way possible. How would you say that you get people, investors or otherwise, excited about linens? What is sort of like your strategy in having people see the possibility of why they basically are settling for something that's not as good and when they could have a better, more luxurious experience? It's not totally about the product. Mm -hmm. While we, that's first and foremost, the product has to be awesome. Like you're kind of dead in the water on a consumer business if your product sucks. So the product is great, but it's more about the end-to-end experience that's very, very differentiated from, you know, what people are used to in buying this. So first of all, in terms of market size, everyone in this building, everyone listening to this podcast is a, is a prospective customer for us. Everybody has the product. Everybody needs the product. Everybody will need several versions of the product as their life goes on, as their home expands, they have more needs and for different bedrooms, um, for kids, for other categories we've gone into, such as towels and robes and so on. So the need was there. It's just a matter of being effective and painting the picture that people, this is something that the market it needs. It's differentiated and people legitimately care about it. So we couldn't prove that until we could prove that. And we had traction, we had customers, we had revenue. We had all these things um, going for us uh, before we got any kind of investment and were able to convince anybody. So it was hard. We had to pound the pavement. Talk to me about the name. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it's relation to Brooklyn. Yep. Is that the first name? How did it come about? That was the first name. So we had no name prior to that. Um, as I said, um, we had a few other co-founders that were with us. Um, one of them, um, we worked out of his in the second bedroom in his apartment in Williamsburg for the first you know few months of the business. Um, and it was unnamed. We had a few like working names that we were tossing around and so on. But it just kind of came together when um, actually my wife and I were at a party one at some point, um, pre-launch, and um, somebody asked what we do, and we said, uh, "I'm in." You know, I said, "I'm in Stern," but we're actually looking at we're actually launching a linen business in Brooklyn. And she put the two words together, and it checked all the boxes that we wanted. So, what was really important to us is have a really unique name, so it's not something that's generic that would get confused with another object a band, a, you know, anything out there that's <laughs> already hovering out there. Uh, two, it had some connotation um, with the category that we were participating in. So linens are a forced product. It kind of made sense. Three, um, the Brooklyn brand was very, very strong for us and still is. Um, the aesthetic of our products, of our of our photography, of our decor, our customer base is it, it, like, it really is an aspirational thing to really anchor the business around, um, and it's worked in our favor beyond that. It wasn't the first idea, but there certainly was a kernel of that in our head, and it's 
it's been very, very true. Can you describe Brooklyn Inn for our listeners in three words? Uh, in three words, um, luxury betting underpriced. Hmm. Couple more, but we'll give it to you. <laughs> I didn't know and they'd be connected. That's <laughs> Luxury betting underpriced. Nice. Mm-hmm. I think I think the the name is fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's that's what got me. Like seeing the ads on the subway, I was instantly able to recognize it, know what it is, remember it. Right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, key. you guys have a couple of competitors out there. That's like what's Nell Diamond's Hill House Home or something. Mm-hmm. For, it took a while to to get it. Versus Brooklyn, and you know exactly what it mm-hmm. is. It's really easy. The logo. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Kudos to your marketing team. Kudos to you and 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 your founders for figuring that out. It's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, that's we had to just cut through the clutter. Um, We know who our customer is and what they care about and what would stick with them. And I think we've built that relationship really strong. So um, yeah, it all goes into it. Is it cool to see your ad on the subway, or do you look at it and like just think about all the business metrics and all that? Because I think it must be really gratifying to see this idea you had come to fruition, where like millions of New Yorkers are seeing Brooklyn in every day. Yeah, I mean. The subway ads were, we've been doing it for a little while now, and that's something that was deliberately bought very tactically. Right. I think I've been told, I've been referred to the brand by people randomly. Oh. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's better for me. Also, when I see people like carrying around our tote bags, I've seen people on airplanes, I've seen people on the street with them, you know, with just with our products. So, and, you know, seeing on our TV commercial, that was actually like a big moment for us. Like, there's just kind of these moments that are like, whoa, like we're, we're really, it's really out there and there's a lot of people and we kind of made it on that front. So I think it's just seeing it in real life. And our store, we have a store in Soho now. So it's um, seeing it all come together from what was, you know, kind of like an idea in the study room up here with a one page website you know, to really come to this, this full assortment of products and people interacting with it. And we're our, we have a sales force that works for us and are part of the team. It's, it's really, really amazing to see it all come together. You know, Stern Chats was also starting a study room here. So I feel like all good ideas For come sure. from the NYU Stern study room. Just got to get that juju from the walls. You just got to get it. Yeah, from those the odd paintings that they have <laughs> that are hand-drawn <laughs> by random people from 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, but back to the marketing, um, how do you see the marketing changing over the next couple of years, whether it's for Brooklyn Inn or, or other um, folks within your industry? Obviously, the subway is great for us, but we're mm. only the New York market. Right. Um, talk maybe a little about data. And, and how you think about it from a digital perspective. Yeah, it's not just digital. So, like, when you think about Subway, it's out of home. It's, it's harder to track. Um, but with that said, we don't spend an a-, a dollar on advertising. That's not trackable. And we understand some sort of ROI on it. And that's, that's mandatory for us. Um, we think about it as where, if we had a pool of money, where is the next is dollar best spent of all of our channels? So that changes over time. So at the beginning, it might be one channel, but as soon as it saturates, you have to shift it to another. And we're constantly juggling all these. I mean, you might see the subways or you might see us on Instagram, but at any given time, we have 30 marketing channels out there kind of just hovering around, you know, sharing information, uh, communicating our value propositions in different ways and formats to different groups of people. Because um, somebody that that's driving in the suburbs needs a different touch point than somebody that's taking the train in the city or taking the bus and so on. So you have to communicate with those people differently. So it's just about finding more channels, finding more touch points with people and finding customers where they are. Can you talk about your relationship or Brooklyn's relationship with Instagram? Your Instagram feed is beautiful. Thanks. And so just like aspirational, I wish my apartment looked like all parts of your Instagram feed. Is Instagram as important as it feels like to us, the consumer? Or what is that relationship like between like you said, allocating your, your marketing funds to, to Instagram. 
Yeah, um, it's it's hugely important, um, both on the marketing side and just from like the branding side. Both they're adjacent to each other, but they're not necessarily the same exact thing. So in order to communicate, you know, how how our products can be styled, what's great about them, let's see how other people are using them, um, like the DIY aspect of improving your home and your life, it's really important to show rather than tell people about that. And that's what's a really great platform for that. Sure. Um, and then as far as an advertising, you know, the scale of Facebook and Instagram is huge. So um, in terms of reaching the right consumer at the right time, there's really no other platform that can match it in mm. terms of just you know, matching that intent with the right product. Sure. Are there any other brands or products or even entrepreneurs that you look towards as, as, as saying, oh man, they're really doing a good job over there. Um, I only hope that we could do something like that or or they have some great ideas that, that, that you might take. Um, ha- is there anybody that influences you? Yeah, I mean, tons. I mean, I... I read a lot about other, you know, founder stories and and CEOs and how that's, you know, how they manage their schedules and their teams and really their their vision. Uh, I, one that really stands out to me from a brand and from a person is Phil Knight at Nike. I read the book Shoe Dog recently, and it's a uh, uh, it's it, a lot of similarities to the way we built the business and to see what Nike has become with while having a, many of the same you know issues that we had in the early days is really quite remarkable and it actually shows us light at the end of the tunnel of what how big this actually could be uh, as an international brand um, and we're only just at the beginning with that so I think you know what comes to mind when people think about leadership and building a brand from the ground up Phil Knight Nike is uh, is really top of mind for me. Cool. I'm curious if there is something that you wish you learned at Stern, whether you wish you took a class, you wish Stern had this resource for entrepreneurs, because one theme that we find here at Stern Chats is that being an entrepreneur in business school can be lonely in many times. You're not mm-hmm. consulting, you're not recruiting for banking or tech. Um, so I'm curious if there's something that you wish you learned from Stern. Yeah. Um, by far the hardest part of my job these days, four years later, is uh, the team managing people, managing talent, and you know fostering relationships and networking. That interpersonal part is really, really hard, and it's really difficult, if not impossible, to teach in a course. But it's hugely important. So, in the early days of the business, I aligned myself with uh, a lot of. You know, I was thinking about strategy. I was thinking about brand strategy. I was thinking about corporate finance. I was thinking about you know marketing and supply chain. I was thinking about all these like nuts and bolts, the really tangible things, um, which were critical in the early days. But as the business grows, it's really hard to prepare for managing people's expectations, managing people's needs. You know, what drives certain people on my team really varies. Really, some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by vision. Some people are motivated by be having like a challenge of some sort. And, you know, it's really hard to, you can't have a one size fits all. You have to really cater to people and be able to juggle in that. And you, that's the hardest thing by far in, for, in terms of running a company. On the flip side to that, um, is there a professor or a class that you took that you draw upon in your day to day or something that stuck with you? Yeah. I mean, like a lot of, a lot of people come in here, I think Scott Galloway's class was, um, was fantastic, super meaningful to me. Um, you know, a lot of what we've done is brand centric in terms of you know having a hero product and really building a brand around it with messaging. It's a brand as a person is really what uh, what resonates um, with people and really learning this from case studies as well as just his teachings and his experience were super valuable. Um, when you know we first put forth the positioning of the brand and how it would be differentiated in the market, um, really that's by far number one for me. That's great. What would you say is the biggest challenge for Brooklyn in the business? Were you surprised? Was, is it operational? Is it more marketing? Um, and sort of were you prepared for that or did it surprise you? 
Um, there's always more marketing you can do. Mm-hmm. So there, there, someone's always willing to take your money to, to get, <laughs> yeah. to, to, you know, you can get ads up. That's not a big deal. Like Stern Chats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like the real hard part is actually coupling that with A, talent, people to really push it forward that are really committed to the business. And B is the back-end supply chain operation stuff that really fuels it. That stuff is the engine really behind the scenes of, you know, if you don't have product to fulfill and get it to customers quickly and meet their expectations and you're dead in the water, it doesn't matter what you're marketing. So as the business grows and you build up demand, it's really hard to predict the supply without any data. That was the hardest part. Like, you can see elasticity, you know, if you know supply and demand and you have so much data that you can that you can test that. But in early days, we didn't have that. It was really shooting in the dark. So um, we we really had to learn on the fly. And that was a real challenge. Hmm. I feel like that's the most difficult part about creating consumer company, just like you described, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say anybody can come up with a brand and an idea, but the execution is so hard. Correct. Being able to come up with supply estimates. I mean, I, I know we talked in managing growing companies with uh, Professor Oaken. We used LL Bean as a case. And mm-hmm. in the early days, they were a sleepy company in Maine that made hunting shoes. And they had no idea what that demand was going to be like mm-hmm. w- worldwide. But as you learn, you you perfect. So you guys being able to grow as fast as you have been is is really, really impressive, to say Thanks. the least. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great class. So I took that class as well. Learned a lot about the foundations. Learned a lot about... Um, corporate structures, whatnot. Um, yeah, Professor Oaken's a very smart guy. Absolutely. The best thing about that class is, like, he'll give you a case and you think that you know what the case is going to be about. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 today we're going to talk about IP law. Mm-hmm. It's like, I thought this was about <laughs> man- yep. managing a supply chain. <laughs> and uh, he takes it a different way, which is which I really liked um, it, when, I, when I sat there, for sure. It's so true. Do you have any advice for aspiring, sterny entrepreneurs who are out there? Yeah, totally. Um, the truth is, to, to what you said earlier, like very rarely does somebody have uh, like the first to have an idea. It's all in the execution. So if you think you have a great idea, sorry, like someone probably thought of that already. It's like the reality of the situation. But the true ch- test and the challenge is, is making the time and putting pen to paper and really just making it happen and putting your best foot forward. So I think there's plenty of time for networking and for recruiting and for your classes. And there's actually plenty of time in between those that if you do have something you're passionate about and you really believe in it, then make the time and try and make it happen. Um, the reason why I launched the company while I was at school is because because of the opportunity cost. Be, like It was relatively small. I didn't have a job that I was sacrificing or anything at the time. I had these pockets of time and all these resources. So I thought like this was this was a golden opportunity to really pursue this. So I think for anyone that's, that's in this community, it's an incredible community because the classes are 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 amazing in terms of subject matter, but also the students you're surrounded with are a lot of people and experts that can supplement your skills. So if you really seek them out and you really try hard, this is like an amazing, amazing environment to, to really make something happen. Absolutely. I think that's a great note to end on. Rich, thank you so much for coming in and speaking Thanks with us. It was awesome guys. learning about your journey. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs>